Praise the Lord, saints. For everybody who is uh, with us and everybody who is online, um, it is always good to be back together. Even if you're uh, remote and far, you are not far from our hearts. And I just pray we continue in a spirit of worship together um, as, as we begin to, to open up God's word um, and hear what God would have to say to us today. Is my mic on is the question, Frank, am I? Okay, thumbs up, perfect. Oh, do I need to speak up for you guys? Okay, great. <laughs> All right, we'll do technology. Well, just, just wink at me if you, if you can't hear me, I'll keep the volume up though. So I'm glad to uh, be with you here today. I, I um, in thinking about, uh, you know, this week coming up um, and, and you know, what God would have for us today. I realized that, you know, we started off this year uh, with a really profound sermon series that I continue to chew on. So Pastor Johnny, over the past, I think, five weeks, we started this in January. Um, he was talking with us about how we can actually hear from God and follow his lead. And he, he used a, a number of weeks to really unfold and unpack um, some really good spiritual uh, food for all of us to chew on. And, and this is just the way that I think about things. I kind of have categories and boxes. Um, it helps me to sort of process and take in information. I, I meditate on it uh, this way. Uh, but he talked about there are some things that we need to do in order to really prepare ourselves to hear from the Lord. And he also talked about some things that we need to stop doing or, or not do as well. Uh, so I had these two boxes in my mind. Um, and I typically, you know, in my work, I try to help people navigate their daily life situations. Many of you know I'm a therapist. And so I always have these two boxes and I try to help people start with, if they wanna accomplish any goal, there's some things that you need to stop doing first. And then you need to start doing these things. And I always say stop doing it first because you know the saying, if you're digging a hole and you wanna not get any deeper, stop, put down the shovel, right? put down the shovel first, and then start to do the things that are gonna help you get out of the hole. Uh, but I think that's sort of a, a natural or a man's way of sort of looking at things. I think in the spiritual realm, I think what God would actually have for us is God would say, actually engage the things that you know to engage, do the good things. God is faithful to then bring those other things that need to fall into alignment into alignment if we embrace and we engage God. And so Pastor Johnny talked about there's some things that we do need to be mindful of in terms of, hey, be careful that we don't judge each other because we've all fallen short. He said, be careful that we're not following our own will because human hearts aren't aligned with God's heart. We want to actually submit ourselves to God. But then there's some things, some good things that we need to do. And he talked about getting into God's word, reading God's word, meditating on God's word. God speaks through his word. He also talked about get involved in the spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting. These are the things that prepare our hearts to actually hear from the Lord when God is trying to lead us and guide us. And then he also talked about each other. We've got good godly counsel amongst the saints and God may be speaking to us through the people around us at times. And so I kept these things in mind and I put all these things together in my, in my boxes and I realized here's what they all seem to have in common to me. There, there are probably a thousand things that would be good things for us to do in order to us to position ourselves to, to hear from the Lord, to be used by God. But they all have one thing in common. We focus on God. 
no matter where our starting point is, we actually focus on God. We, we take our concerns to God. If we're in a place of lament and sorrow, we take that to God. If we're in a place of seeking God for, for next steps, we, we take that to God in prayer. No matter what it is, we actually focus in on God. However, that does not necessarily come so naturally. There are a lot of things that can beset us, that can take our focus. Um, many times we can be dealing with things that are so difficult that our focus goes to our problems. Sometimes it's not that we're dealing with difficult things. Sometimes our focus just is on ourselves because we're human. And with that being said, it's not necessarily the intuitive thing or the natural thing to place our focus on God. But today's scripture, which is Psalms 121, I think has something to help us with that, how we can get that focus on God and how we can then basically use that focus so that God can actually then encourage us, empower us, and we can begin to fulfill the kingdom and continue the walk that he would actually have us to walk. So if you turn with me to Psalm 121, I'm going to read the chapter. It's eight verses, but it's a very familiar psalm. It's a very familiar song. If some of you have learned this through music. And it goes like this. 121 verse 1 through 8. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. Amen. Amen. The title, if I had to give the sermon a particular title, I would say, look up, look up. If we can remember the beginning of this passage and how it starts off, I lift my eyes to the hills, look up. And it reminds me of a, an account that I heard, um, this is an actual situation, of, of a man about 59 years old at the time, and he had undergone uh, a stroke. Uh, it hit him out of the blue. He said one day, you know, he was just minding his own business and his entire side of his body seemed to just tighten up. And it was a stroke. And of course, you know, they got him to the hospital. Um, and of course, you know, they saved his life, but he couldn't actually move his entire left side of his body. The stroke had hit. Um, he said the left side of his body felt basically completely dead. He said he couldn't feel the, the, the muscles, the, all the muscle tissue, everything on, on that side of his body felt foreign to him. It felt like it had died and was not even a part of his body anymore. And so he was talking about the grueling, agonizing recovery process because by this time he had regained his ability to walk and use his left side. Uh, but he was talking about the process that followed from the stroke. And what he recalled was this. He was talking about the weeks and months of physical therapy that he was going to, through that tried to get him to, to utilize the limbs on that side of his body. He said, but he couldn't feel them. And so it was, it was a difficult process. He said, at the exact moment, when I began to doubt that my foot was actually touching the ground simply because I couldn't feel it, I stumbled. 
So as they're trying to get him to walk, he's not able to feel anything on the left side. And as he puts the foot down, he doesn't realize that it's down. He says every time he actually began to doubt whether or not his foot was down, he got in his head and he would stumble. He said, but he knew that the only way that his brain would eventually remap all the signals required for him to be able to walk was if he accepted the fact that he actually was walking and he needed to just keep moving forward, not focus down on that foot. He said, when babies are learning to walk, this was his perspective, when babies are learning to walk, they don't usually look down at their feet. He said, they look up. He said, they look at their loved ones. They look at mom, they look at dad. They look at what they want. They look at the cookie. And they wobble forward day by day until finally their brain is mapped and it has all the synapses and connections that it needs so that they can plant one foot firmly in front of the other and they're able to walk smoothly and go about. He said, you see, if I wanted to, he said he could have walked slowly down the hall during his physical therapy routines. He said if he would just be able to look down at his feet, get that visual reminder that his foot was actually planted there, he could actually walk, he said, but it'd be very, very slow. He understood that the only way that his mind would truly be able to reorganize and allow him to walk was that if he would not look down, but instead like a baby, look up. So remember, there's so many times that Jesus actually uses children and babies as examples. And I think that's for good reason. I think by the time we're you know, beyond a certain age, we have these natural tendencies to do the very thing that could actually hamper our walk, hamper our growth in some ways. And I think Jesus actually recognized that. And so we'll find in scripture many times where he's actually welcoming children into his presence, using the children to actually teach as examples to the, to the disciples and people around him. So just like this story of the stroke, though, I think, you know, all around us, we can see evidence of, of spiritual maladies. They, they, sometimes, you know, we can talk about in terms of spiritual strokes, but really spiritual maladies that would actually work a lot like a stroke and hinder us in our walk, hinder us in our ability to continue to live this life as God has called us to live this life. There are many of them, but I want to focus on two of them today, mainly fatigue, being tired, being exhausted, and fear, fatigue and fear. These two things, when we get focused on those things and it consumes everything in terms of our vision and our focus, it can really hamper our ability to continue our walk in the Lord. So we prayed today, um, and in our prayer, we, we have a number of prayer requests, um, and even our prayer request in terms of the larger world with everything that's going on, you know, I, I think I realized there's a lot that can be going on in all of our lives, but we share a lot of this stuff in common. We've all, for the past two years, been dealing with a pandemic crisis and all that has come along with that. Some of us have actually caught this thing. Some of us has lost, has lost loved ones as a result of it. Many of us have had to you know, suffer the consequences of what comes along with it. Um, we, we're all sort of dealing with this thing and, and it's not like it was you know, a weekend. This thing has been going on for two years now. And so they have a word for this. It's called COVID fatigue. Have you heard of it? COVID fatigue. So think about all the things that, that come along with the past two years and all the reasons that people might actually be tired. Having to be hypervigilant about where you go and who you're in contact with, having to, you know, having to be sort of vigilant around, um, you know, can you even go here or there? Um, these are things that you know, we used to take for granted, but we have to just be mindful. If you've got kids and those kids were home for you know, weeks and months and months, God bless you. 
but you, you survived, right? And Lord willing, they're back in, in school and hopefully teachers get a raise because we now understand what they deal with a bit more. But these are the things that we talk about when we say COVID fatigue has hit us all. That's just in the past two years. If we look at the past four or five, six years, there's also been crazy, crazy things going on in this country just around racial dynamics. And so we have a word for that too. It's called racial battle fatigue. Racial battle fatigue is when you happen to have to deal with all of these dynamics of division that affect not just the country, but our communities, our churches, even in our families. That divisiveness that's a part of this that's really been amplified over the past four or five, six years has been something that has worn people down repeatedly so that we're just exhausted. We just don't wanna talk about it. We don't wanna look at it. We don't wanna sort of engage it. Um, and the stuff needs to be dealt with, but it's so easy to just sort of let it lie to the side because we're exhausted by these things. And right as we think, okay, things seem like they could be moving in a better direction. And then here come the wars and the rumors of wars. And we've had Ethiopia be in a civil conflict for, for months and months now, and now the Ukraine. And so we see on TV, you know, the, the Christians and the women and the children and all that's going on there. Um, and, and talk about racial battle fatigue, this is actual battle fatigue. And so we've got wars going on on many fronts. And, and even though they're not necessarily here in our land or in our country, the reverberations certainly are. And, and some of us may actually know people connected to, through extended family, people who are being affected by these wars as well. And so there's just a lot of things going on that would be understandably a source that might actually be quite draining. They're intense but they've been going on for years now and it doesn't seem to let up. I do think Psalm 121 actually gives us something uh, for when people are actually fatigued, tired, worn out, exhausted. So let's, let's look a bit at the context of this passage um, because I always have this saying in my mind, you know, when a text has a context, that is a good thing. But if a text does not have a context, it's usually just a pretext for the text saying whatever you want it to say. So I'm gonna start with the context of this passage that we're looking at. The context is this. If you look in your scripture, if you look in your Bible at this passage, it's, it titles it, A Song of Ascents. A Song of Ascents, as to climb higher. It's a song, first of all. A song that is sung traditionally over the years and over the centuries by diaspora Jews, Jewish people, who lived outside of Jerusalem in all of the regions and countries and cities far away from Jerusalem because they were dispersed over the years through different wars, but they still maintain the law, which is they have to actually go to Jerusalem to worship several times a year at these festivals that God has appointed for them. And a part of this process then is you've got all of these people coming to Jerusalem several times a year from journeys and distances that are far and wide. Some of the Jews were actually down in, in the African context. Some were far east, many were north, many west. They came to Jerusalem for, from all parts of the globe. And, and they didn't have cars uh, and they didn't have buses and they certainly didn't have planes. And so how did they get there? They walked, they were on foot or they're on caravan. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a caravan, but camels caravans, they, they actually walk slower than people. So I don't know if you've ever been on a long car ride, um, and have just gotten mis miserable. And you know, the kids are like, can we, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And, and can you imagine, uh, this is why they didn't actually let kids go. I think this is part of the wisdom of why God said you actually have to be 12 or 13 before you actually 
were, were on these trips, because uh, that would just be maddening. Um, but even, the, even with that, I do think of young people, 12 and 13 years old, making their first pilgrimages to Jerusalem from, from all parts of the globe. And I think about the nature of that journey, the nature of that trip. And one of the things that comes to my mind, having you know, done a few hikes, is number one, that's a great distance. You can be tired just from having to travel the distances that some of the people would have to travel. They're coming from all over the globe, basically, all over the region, the Near East region and into Africa. Um, and, and there's some particular roads that go to Jerusalem that are quite demanding. If you come into Jerusalem from the north or from the east, that is really, really rough and rugged terrain. I've, I've been to that part of the world, um, and I remember my first time there, and I looked out and I, I, I perused the landscape, and for some reason, it, I, I didn't anticipate that it was going to look like Mars, like there's just rocks and like nothing. And the only thing I can equate it to is if you've ever been out to Hemet uh, or San Jacinto, right, and, and you just don't see any vegetation anymore, and you wonder what planet am I on, that's how the terrain was out there. And so can you imagine traveling probably 100 or so miles only to get into this region now where there's no water, there's no food, there's no vegetation, there's no shade. So in the daytime, it's hot. In the nighttime, because it's desert, it's, it's cold. And you have to continue walking. That's the nature of this ter terrain. And, and the only water source from coming from the east into Jerusalem, going through this really, really difficult part of the, part of the terrain, is actually a city called Jericho, which, can, which is a city today. Jericho is supported by a spring, and that's sort of the only water source that you actually run into before you get to Jerusalem. But Jericho is still 18 miles away from Jerusalem. So you, you've made this long journey, you're tired, you're exhausted, and you finally get to Jericho, and, and you still have another 18 miles to go. And it's not a normal 18 miles from Jericho. It's called a song of ascents, ascent, ascending up, meaning Jerusalem is not on a flat plain. Jerusalem is on top of a mountain or a hill. It's about 2,600 feet in elevation. So you walked, you're tired, you can imagine what that feels like, and then you get to the place where now you have to start the ascent up to the city. And here's the thing, coming in from a place like Jericho, which is already difficult, 2,600 feet, that's tough. But Jericho is in the valley of the Dead Sea, which means it is 1,300 feet below sea level. So now you've got to actually, over the next 18 miles to get to your final destination, the temple, where the presence of God is, where you're going to worship, you've got to go up half a mile consistently. And the closer you get, the steeper the incline becomes. Can you imagine what that might actually feel like? You can tell a weary traveler usually based on where they're actually looking. The experienced traveler figures out how to do this walk. People who are experienced hikers definitely figure out how to pace themselves. But the person who's brand new, typically you can tell because as they take each labored step, they're sort of looking down at their feet. They have to sort of will themselves to keep going. I don't know if you've ever been that tired where, and, and you're walking, and now you're walking uphill. If you've ever done a mountain sort of hike, you, you're sort of looking down at your feet, almost sort of willing the steps. And, and that's the only thing that sort of keeps you going forward. And, and, and then someone in the group that you're with, you know, if, if you're among these pilgrims who are traveling up to Jerusalem, 
they, they start to sing the song. They start off with, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And everybody starts to join in. And I don't know if you've ever had a song hit you just right when you're tired, but I don't know if you ever got, you know what I'm talking about, when you get that lift, and now you can sort of go further than you realize that you could go, because now your focus is no longer on the pain of the steps that you're taking, but your focus is now placed outside of that, and it propels you forward in some ways. And this is why I think the power of music is so great, and this is, if you've ever done cardio, or if you've ever done Peloton, I'm sure you've got music, right? Because this stuff is tough. But the power of praise music, the power of praise music even greater. So one of, one of my favorite people in the world um, is an elderly man who, who I only would see on Sundays in my previous church. And he must have been upper 80s or maybe even 90 at the time. And this, this was probably 20 years ago. And uh, me and Patty, my wife, we used to sit um, right in back of him every Sunday. And uh, he was up in age, elderly man, and he, he walked with a cane, and every step was labored. He was quite slow, uh, but very pleasant, very pleasant fellow. Would always speak, and we'd always speak to him. Um, it was there every Sunday. And the thing that I used to love about him is, is when, the, when the praise would get to going in church. Um, and, and first of all, I'm African-American, and so it's black church. And so when the praise hits, you know, then, then people feel it. And the spirit sort of descends in such a way where people are up, they're in the aisles. And, and this man of 90, he no longer needed the cane. Not only did he not need the cane, the cane was nowhere, to, he's in the aisle. And he's in the aisle dancing, but not just dancing. He's in the aisle and he's coming up the aisle on one foot hopping. 90 years old, carrying, a, having a cane, the only way he can get around without the music is, is very belabored. But, but the spirit hits in such a way where he doesn't need the cane, he's hopping on one foot and he's praising God because his focus is on the Lord. And I think that's such a, why that sort of registers with me is because I think that is, there's such a spiritual lesson in that in terms of we go through some difficult things and we can absolutely be exhausted by the lives that we have to live. Absolutely, by the circumstances that we have to navigate. And those are real struggles. But if we shift our focus off of our problems, off of our pain, and it doesn't mean we deny our pain, but we focus in on God, things fall into perspective in a way, and, and God meets us where we are, and the Spirit empowers us, and we can continue to walk and can continue to do and continue to be who God has called us to be, even in circumstances and situations that are quite, quite difficult, that humanly possible, we just wouldn't figure out how we'd be able to do it. God is faithful. God is faithful. I also appreciate about this particular passage, the fact that when you are in a place like the Dead Sea Valley, 1,300 feet below sea level, and you're tired, you can actually look up and see Mount Zion, which is where Jerusalem is. And I didn't really realize this until I moved to Southern California. I'm not from here. But in moving to Southern California back in the 90s, now, first of all, in the 90s, there was a lot of smog, okay? So I lived in Pasadena, and, and Pasadena's at the base of the San Gabriel Mountains. But I was here for probably a good two weeks before I realized that there were mountains there because the smog was so bad, right? And then one night it cleared, and I was like, what is that? And it, it's the mountain that I never knew was here. Um, but 
the great thing about being in the San Gabriel Valley, being in this part of uh, LA that we live in, is if you look up to the mountains, you can always orient yourself or reorient yourself if you happen to be lost, confused, turned around, or sort of disoriented in terms of where you might be. Because the mountains are always due north. And somebody who might be a little bit directionally challenged like myself, I, I typically do sort of get lost. Um, I love Southern California for that. I love where I live because I can never get completely turned around because I just look up, I find the mountains, and then I can orient, oh, north, ocean, I know where I am. At least I know the general direction I am. So I think there's a spiritual lesson in that as well. When, we, when scripture is talking about being able to look up to the hills, it's not really talking about look to the mountain itself. It's talking about look to God because God is there in the temple. That is where sort of God is housed amongst his people in this time. But if we can sort of look there, it does allow us to reorient ourselves day by day. So we sort of have our, our compass right. It does allow us to get in touch with the Lord and, and God sort of meets us where we are and we're empowered to go another step. We're empowered to continue to live this life as God has called us to. I think there's another part though of understanding the nature of this journey that is, that is quite important for this passage. Not only can we be tired, just like the pilgrims who would be traveling, but this particular route often was, was very dangerous. Dangerous, because there are a number of wild animals, but particularly, it was the people, bandits, robbers. Pilgrims, Jews had been traveling this, this route for hundreds of years, and so it became a route by which people who wanted to hit you in the head and take your money, this is what their occupation was. And they would camp out in this area, so it was a very dangerous area to, to actually travel. And so it was fearful for a lot of people to actually travel from, from Jericho to Jerusalem. This particular route actually has a name. It's called the Way of Blood because so much blood was shed by robbers along this route that that's the moniker. This place was so dangerous that Jesus actually uses it as the setting for the Good Samaritan. So if you, if you are familiar with that part of scripture, Luke chapter 10, Jesus is actually talking with a, a young man who knows the law quite well. They call him a lawyer, but he's not in court arguing. He's, he's some, someone who studies the law. And he's asking Jesus some questions. Um, and, and Jesus is responding with, you know, what do you understand the law is? Because he wants to know who his neighbor is and, you know, how does he do good? And, you know, they're having this conversation. Jesus says, yeah, you, you, you understand the law, you got it, so go and do that. But he presses it. He wants to know, okay, I know to do good, but I, I need to you know, love my neighbor as myself, but who is my neighbor? So he takes it one step further. This is a very interesting conversation. Jesus then begins to tell this story of a good Samaritan. He says, actually, let, let, me, let me turn there. Luke chapter 10, it starts... Verse 25, but I'm, I'm going to jump into Jesus, where Jesus is picking up with this story. Verse 30, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is the route that goes from 2,600 feet to 1,300 feet below sea level, 18 miles. Most likely because he's coming from one of these festivals. So he's one of these pilgrims, most likely. So, everybody, so anybody who would listen to this would, would understand this context. He says, and as he went, 
he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. So a priest now coming down the same road from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And this is a very narrow road, so it's not like it's broad. Remember, this is really rough terrain. So in order to pass by on the other side, you really have to sort of scale the wall. You have to be very intentional to actually get around somebody here. He said, and so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now a priest, fellow Jew, passed by. A Levite, second order priest, passes by, doesn't help him at all. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these, Jesus said, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Very, very interesting parable that we, we, we all are familiar with. But I don't think we think about this enough to, in, in terms of the actual context that Jesus is actually talking about. He's talking about a situation in which you've got religious people who see their fellow Jew beaten along the side of the road. But this place is so dangerous that they don't stop. If you see somebody stranded along the side of the road, smoke coming out of their hood, you might actually, and you know, there's no cell signals. Let me just add that, right? You might actually decide, well, let me see if they actually need some help. But imagine it's midnight, 1 a.m. Imagine you're passing through Compton. Imagine <laughs> all the things that we think about in terms of this might be a dangerous thing to actually do. I do not know these people. This is not familiar ground to me. Would you stop? That, that's in this story, okay? That's what Jesus is actually getting at with this. And what would it take to, to cause somebody who, who is a religious person and, and sees their fellow Jew stranded, beaten, not just stranded, beaten, and they don't stop? What's going on in this context? That's a dangerous environment. And a Samaritan comes along and actually responds. And, and if I might just spend a moment on this one. I think we're all familiar with Samaritans and Jews and their, their relationship. There's a very contentious relationship between Samaritans and Jews. Samaritans actually followed the Torah. Jews followed the Torah. Samaritans followed the Torah. They just have different versions of it. So they followed Judaism, but, but they were much more purist, meaning hey, we're only going to follow the first five books of the Bible. There's no prophets. There's no all of that. We're just going to follow what the five books that Moses gave us. And we're not going to say that Jerusalem is the place to worship. The original place to worship was Mount Gerizim. That's where God first gave us the, these commandments. And so that's where they centered their worship. So they're much more of a purist when it came to, to the law in this way. And there's just a lot of animosity between Jews and Samaritans so that they just hated each other. And many people think that 
hey, if, if the priests don't stop, I can understand because, you know, here's a person who's half dead, he's bloody, and the priests have, they got to stay pure. They can't touch blood. They definitely can't touch a dead body. Is he alive? Is he dead? But remember, the priest is not going up to Jerusalem to worship. They're done. They're coming back now. So purity laws, they're, they're there. But, but even in all of scripture, nothing trumps saving a life. Jesus talks about if you got an ox and he falls into a pit, do you wait till the Sabbath is over? Or do you actually pull him out of the pit? You pull him out of the pit. So you actually invest in saving and preserving life. So that is clear from how Jesus handles scripture. So, so we can't really make an argument that somehow they're, they're not helping this guy based on anything in the scripture. And Jesus's point oftentimes when he's talking to people through parables is you're kind of missing the point of scripture. People often understood the law as something that was sort of the final word on sort of the outer limits of acceptable behavior. And if you cross that line, then there was punishment of some sort. So, so let's not cross that line, but it leaves a whole lot of, of problem areas that people can still get into. That's what the rich, that, that's what this, this young guy was actually sort of getting at. It's like, who is my neighbor? Because if I know who my neighbor is and I'll treat them right, but it leaves all this room to treat people just kind of so-so because they're not your neighbor. And, and it's understandable because number one, by the time Jesus is walking and, and talking with people in this, this time period, there, there's sort of a Greek understanding of the law. The Greek understanding of the law, which is where we get our law, the US gets this law code from, is it is something legislative. It is something that if you cross it and you break it, it's punishable. So it does define sort of the outer limits of behavior. But the original intent of the law, when you look at how the, the Israelites and how God gave it to Israel, it was meant to be generative. It was actually meant to cause people to, when you put it into practice, it caused relationships to flourish. So that's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 is talking about, hey, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. You've heard it said, don't kill. But even if you look at your neighbor's life, even if you're angry with your neighbor, and Jesus is not just raising the bar, Jesus is saying, if you actually look at how God intended for scripture and law to be actually used, it's not to say, hey, as long as you don't do this, you're okay. It's actually meant to say, no, if you've got something in your heart, you have to engage your brother, your sister, and you have to make that right. It's actually meant to be generative and bring about relationship in a deeper place of connection and understanding. If the society applies God's law, now you've got a society that is something that is a witness to the rest of the world. And Jesus is calling us to this all of the time. And also this young man, Jesus is actually pointing him in that direction as well. So, so ultimately this, this very interesting story that Jesus tells, you know, there, there's a number of things that, that I take away from it and related to what we're talking about in our scripture today, it, it would be this. I try to imagine this story from the eyes of the beaten man as he watches his fellow Jews come by and he watches the priests go by and he watches the pastor go by and skirt him. And then he sees the Samaritan, the sworn enemy. And it's not unreasonable to think that, oh no, now I need to get on the other side of the road because if the Samaritan sees me, he's probably gonna finish me off. That's the nature of the relationship. But God sent him some help in this story, but the help didn't come in the package that he thought it would be. God often sends us help in packages that are not only unfamiliar to us, but sometimes the package can be the very antithesis of what we'd actually anticipate the package to be. It might come in the form of the very person 
who would least expect to have to engage or want to engage, but yet God might use that person to move that person to actually then engage us and help us in ways that could be unexpected. And I think there's a lot of ways that we can chew on this because there's a lot of us who I will just speak from sort of my, uh, my, my community of folks who many people lost their jobs with this pandemic because they just did not trust the medical establishment. There's a long history of mistrust amongst black folks around the medical establishment for good reason. And when it came to this pandemic, they were just very hesitant to then subject themselves to anything like that. And they would lose their jobs if they had to actually be vaccinated. And, and this is one of these situations where I would say, could this be one of these situations where yes, we, we cannot put our trust in, take our trust out of God and, and somehow think that science or, or medicine is gonna be the, our salvation. That's never true. We always look to God, but can God actually be utilizing science and medicine Absolutely, because God has good people in those areas in order to do the work and bring about the healing as well. So we have to grapple with these things in very real situations. Sometimes God gives us something that we actually need in packages that we least expect. And sometimes we actually might be a bit hesitant to engage it. But God is always sort of pushing us to grow. And please don't hear me as saying, oh, okay, you, you somehow made a mistake if you made a decision you know, around things like the vaccine. I'm saying interrogate your motives, interrogate what God might be trying to always get you to do, but always understand this, but, but your faith and your trust always is anchored in God. The focus always must remain in God. That should never move. I think our passage helps us because there are times when we are tired. I think there's times where we do have fear. And when those things loom too large and start to jam us up and, and we sort of start to focus in on the problems or on the things that we find most scary, it does hinder our walk. It hinder us, hinders us from being able to connect with one another. It hinders us from being able to hear from the Lord. And it hinders us from being able to put into practice those things that God would prompt us to do by faith. But if we just look up, if we just take our focus off of ourselves, off of our problem and look to the Lord and, and Pastor Johnny's talked about it in some very tangible ways over the past five weeks, we can get into the scriptures. We can get into prayer, into meditation. We can actually hear from one another. Sometimes God gives our neighbors a word that is just that right word for us. And we have to have an open ear to actually hear that, but also a willing heart so that we actually act and respond to that. God is always trying to prompt us to grow and to continue to move forward. And when we're tired, and when we're afraid, God still empowers us to be able to do so. Verses three and four talks about God really being present all the time and not sleeping and not slumbering. God being present all the time, not sleeping and not slumbering. First of all, for the traveling Jew at that time, understand that all of the gods around them from the neighboring peoples, they... They had gods too, right? And those gods also had festivals, but those gods oftentimes would be known to sleep through the winter months. And then they had to be aroused during the growing season and the harvest season. And that's how they, you know, they did their celebration, their festival in order to arouse their gods because now we need the harvest god to come in and, and bless us. But, but Israel's God never slept or slumbered. That's what this is talking about. And, and I think that's something that we can take to heart that number one, God is with us in such a way that he's ever present and he doesn't sleep on the job. 
And, and here's where I go back to kids are a wonderful example again. And I understand why Jesus actually uses them all the time. Because if you had kids, if you were a kid, kids hate bedtime. The very thing that they need, right? They're, they're irritable. They're, they're crying. You need a nap. And it makes them cry worse because you said it, right? They, they hate the very thing they need. But, but here's, here's this, there's something to that. In Scripture, it always talks about sleep as synonymous with death. If you look at scripture, sometimes it talks about sleep as death. Sleep is probably the one thing that kids have to do by themselves through the day. Even if you've got a great parent who's going to sort of put you down in the bed and stay with you and read you the story, if you wake up in the middle of the night as a little kid, parent's not there. You're by yourself. They've gone off, right? They've been waiting, right? They've gone. And so you can wake up and you've got to cry to get them to come back. And so, so sleep for a lot of kids, what we learn is, number one, it's something that we're going to be left alone in, or if the parent is there, they might not be there when we wake up. It's sort of, kids understand that. And, and so that's why I do think we sort of have that experience in all of us. And so when scripture talks about sleep is death, yeah, death is something that you're going to do by yourself, right? Death is something that we all must face. And, and for us, it, we're, we're sort of separated from our loved ones. We can't even fathom it. And it, it brings up a lot of fear. But God is faithful. And there's so many scriptures that says God doesn't leave us or forsake us. So that even when we close our eyes in the ultimate sleep, which is death, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He never leaves us. He is the perfect parent. Praise God for that. So we, we've got a God that no matter what the situation is, he's ever present. He'll never leave us. He never sleeps on the job. He's with us all the time. And then as we go then into the rest of the verses that talks about, and God is also our protector, then we have to have been reckoned with, okay, but there's a lot of people and Christians who lose their lives every day. God, what's going on here? Then we have to pull from those scriptures that are talking about, okay, but you have to understand too that a lot of things can affect us. We can suffer. We can even lose our lives. When we think about what's going on in the Ukraine, there are lots of people, there are lots of people who are dying daily. Many of them are Christians. And we then start to grapple with, okay, but God, your scripture says that you're a protector and that you will guard and guide us. How do we make sense of this? But then we have to look at things like Colossians chapter 3, 3 and 4, which talks about our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ then is revealed in the last day, we too are going to be revealed with him as well. But what is that talking about? It means that no matter what happens to us, God has already sort of sealed us in Jesus Christ so that even though we may suffer, even though death may come and take our lives, eternal life is assured. All the things that Christ has promised is assured. We get our lives back. All of that is assured. And, and so when we look at passages, this is why I think, you know, the, the, it's important to sort of meditate and grapple with these things because these are not light issues. Death is, is quite painful. But when we look in as Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 5, it actually talks about someday there's going to come a Messiah. And that Messiah is going to actually experience the same things that we actually experience. That Messiah is going to experience suffering. He's going to experience beatings. He's going to be bruised. But he's going to be bruised. But because of those bruises, because of those stripes that he receives, that's our healing. Because of the death that he experiences, because we die, 
that's going to be our resurrection. And so while the world can give us solidarity because, yeah, we suffer and we want to stand with those who suffer, but, but Jesus is not just giving us solidarity. He's not just suffering because we suffer. Jesus says, I'm with you. And we're with Jesus and we identify with Jesus, not because he suffers like us, but because he suffered and died, but he got up again. And God promises that we've identified with Jesus so that when we suffer, when we die, we get up again. That's the difference between what the world offers in terms of solidarity and what God actually offers through Christ. There's victory over death. So we have to hold these things by faith. These are the things that even though we see the terrible things that are going on around us, we can experience them directly. We hold by faith that God's promises are true. They're going to be true today, just like they were yesterday, and they're going to be true tomorrow. That is why we have to grapple with these things in the way that we do. So in conclusion, let me just say that this, this is a really encouraging, in some ways, part of Scripture. It conveys to us through song, through, through poem and poetry, the way that we read it, some assurances that no matter what we go through, whether the pilgrim traveling, whether you know 2,000 years removed where we are today, life circumstances continue to be life circumstances. There's danger that might hinder us. There's tiredness because we go through, we go through life stuff. But if we just take our focus and place it on the Lord, God uses that. He meets us where we are. He empowers us to continue to move forward, and we continue to live and walk this life according to his kingdom, which becomes a witness to the world. So I always like to say, you know, um, you know it's a saying that, that you probably heard me say before, um, may God wake us up, may God shake us up, and Lord willing, God is going to take us up one day. And, and why I like to say that is because Either God's going to wake us up, shake us up, and hopefully take us up, or the world's going to wake us up out of our sleep with misery and anxiety, shake us up with the things that are fearful, and take us through some valleys. So it's not like we've got a choice to just sort of be comfortable. It's going to be one way or the other. Life's going to throw these things. So if we can put our focus in on the Lord, focus in on what God would actually have for us, May it be that we place our focus in the right place. May it be that God wakes us up, shakes us up, and takes us up. So look up as we go into the week. Look up as you go into the worst situations that you currently are navigating. Remember to look up. And we're not talking about the mountain necessarily. We're talking about look up to the Lord. See how God might meet us in this time. Amen? Amen. With that being said, let me, let me say a quick prayer, um, and then Pastor Johnny will come because I know we've got communion time. Father God, I thank you that the words that you've given thousands of years ago, Lord, continue to ring true, Lord, that your word does not return into you void, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that as your word goes forth, Lord, that it will accomplish all that you've set it out to do, that it would pierce hearts, touch hearts, draw people to you, Lord. Give us reminders, Lord, of your presence. Even though we navigate things that might be difficult for us, Lord, you don't take those things away, Lord, but you help us through them. You empower us, Lord, and we'll be very, very careful to give you the glory and the praise, Lord, for allowing us, Lord, to, to worship, to proclaim your name, 
even in the midst of dark times and dark seasons, Lord, because that's where the light shines brightest. To you be the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.